We are in the middle of a series that's called the 21 Days of Prayer because we as a church, uh, we did this last year and we loved it so much, we decided we wanted to do it again, just start the year off in prayer. Collectively as a church, praying for what God would have us for as a church in terms of the 2020, the new decade, but also individually how God wants us to, to, to just continue to have the discipline of prayer. And there's three ways that we'd love for you to engage, Okay. First is to pray and fast. We want to add the element of fasting to a day of prayer that you sign up for because we want to have all 21 days covered with journey folks praying for your, praying through what God has you to pray for and praying for the church and uh, adding the fasting element to it. That's, we give you a little uh, article you can read about what fasting looks like. If you've never done it before, uh, we challenge you to do it. I had a great uh, note come to me this week uh, with a lady who uh, had just tried it. She never fasted and prayed before. She tried it last week. And, and, and you know, the note, the note was very simple. It just said, Matt, while I was praying and reading God's Word and fasting, uh, it was just different. It was a very, very unique uh, spiritual experience uh, that I've never had before, and I don't even know if I have the right words uh, to describe it. And I wrote her back and said, you know what? You've done the best you can. I understand what you're saying because it is, if you've never done it before, it is really, really special. So we challenge you to do that. You can go to the info.bar and register for a day or multiple days. Pray together. Every morning at Journey, we have prayer hosts and people showing up every morning to pray with you. So during the week, Monday through uh, Friday at 6.30 a.m., so you can do it before you go to work for 30 minutes. Uh, you can come and be a part of prayer. On Saturday, it's at 9 a.m., and then on Sunday, I think Tracy led it this morning, right, and Laura's leading it next Sunday, yes, and you can come meet at 8 o'clock, so you can come be here at 8. I know that's crazy for all the second service people to think about, but all right, you can come here at 8, and then you can come be a part of prayer, and then you can go to the first service. We have a first service, by the way. It starts at 9, just to let you all know. Anyway, that's, uh, yeah, th you know, if that's a, something, a challenge for you, maybe that's a step you want to take, as we'll talk about today. Pray for. We have prayer prompts. You got an email today. Uh, giving you the whole week of the prompts for every day. We want you to be praying for something very specific. If you go to social media every day, you'll see that at 8 o'clock in the morning where the prayer prompts will come up. And we want you not only to pray, but this is an opportunity for you to share on your social media what you're praying for and ask people within your circle to pray with you, to pray with you and to, and to give you and to and help let them know this is what you're doing this 21 days as you're engaging in 21 days of prayer for the new year. Last week we started, I'll give you a quick recap, of this idea of the new year and the new you. It's very fresh, you know, the fresh resolutions to lose weight and, you know, change a habit and do all these things to, to kind of create the new you, the, the you that you want to be, right? Especially for this next year and this next decade, a lot of freshness to that right now. And last week I asked the question, I said, what if, what if you didn't spend 2020 trying to fix the old you, but instead you begin to live through and live out of and pray through the new you that already exists because of Jesus. And so this scripture we read last week is kind of that theme. This is from Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a, what's the words out, read it out loud, a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. So the idea is that, you know, you don't have to lose 10 pounds to be a new you. You don't have to, uh, you know, change that habit. You don't have to find love in 2020 to experience the new you. Because God has made you a new creation, you are already a new person. You are already in him a new 
you, what would it look like for you to really believe that? We read through Romans 8 and talked about God's commitment to you and he's for you and there's no condemnation for those who are, that have surrendered their life to Christ and all the ways in which he pours himself out to you and, and for you. And we ended where we're going to start today, which is in Romans 12, which is how do we respond? If we really believed that was true, how do we respond to a life where God is for us, that nothing can separate us from him? that he works all things together for our good. How, how would that change our lives? We read Romans 12 in terms of what it looks like to surrender our life to him. But today I want to pick up there and read the next verse, which actually has a very, very specific challenge that we're going to walk through today. And this is in Romans 12. I'll read through the New, New, New Living Translation. You guys can pull up your version um, in, your, in your Bible or on your phone, whatever it may be, um, and read along with me. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, because of all he has done for you, right? That's what we talked about last week, because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a, what? Read it out loud. Transform you into that new person, that new you, by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and perfect, and pleasing will. Now, here's the very specific charge that comes. We don't often go this far in the verse sometimes to read it in context, but here's what he says. In light of that, he says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, meaning Paul's basically saying, we're all under the same grace here. I say this challenge to you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. All right? I'm going to read it again. Not for you guys, but for the people outside that you know. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time, all right? Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. And then he challenges us, he challenges the church, he says, rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has given you, that he's distributed to each of you. So here's Paul saying, you're going to live your life in such a way that you're going to surrender it back to God. It's part of your worship. It's what it looks like to, to not be you know, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, is what the NIV says, the renewing of your mind, changing the way you think. And, and you're going to learn God's will for your life, but you don't need to think of yourselves more highly than you should. As a matter of fact, he said very specifically, I want you to think about yourself with sober judgment. Okay? Sober judgment, in accordance, in comparison to, in light of the faith that God has given you. Paul immediately sort of kind of approaches the church with not just the idea of what it looks like to surrender your life to God, but what does it look like in accordance to the faith that he's given you. He's really kind of challenging our talk versus our walk. The things we say, the things we believe, the things we claim versus how we actually live the decisions we actually make, you know, the, the response to life we actually have. It should be one and the same, and yet for many Christians across the world, we perpetuate the problem, which is the hypocrisy of our faith. Because we claim, we state, we believe something that doesn't necessarily reflect itself in our life, in our decisions, in our responses, in the way that we live. And this is really hard, especially in our culture, our culture of sort of, you know, lazy boy sitting, you know, social experts, social and online experts, right, who 
have an opinion about everything, and they want to drift towards a culture of relative truth because that allows me to state my opinion and that allows you to state your opinion and my truth and your truth, and we just get to coexist with each other's truths versus what we are told in terms of what we believe as we follow Christ, that there is an absolute truth that we should be believing in and stating in and then living from and living out of. So not only does it challenge our talk versus our walk, but it really does help kind of remind us that there's something very specific to what we're called as, as, as Christians, and that is we're called disciples. But you cannot equate disciple with believer, and that's something the church has done far too often, to state that you, just because you believe something that you are a disciple, because you know, as a Christian, if we compare ourselves to one another, all we have to do is compare ourselves to how, how well we're courted, courted, sort of doing and our belief system, and that's all we have to do. But Paul said, no, think of yourselves in sober judgment according to faith, according to the faith he's given us, in accordance to that, which means that really a disciple, as it's defined in the Word of God, it really means follower, follower. So it really, I'm not saying that belief is not important because belief is a part of following, but you don't have to necessarily follow anything in order to believe something, right? I, can, I believe in gravity. I'm not a follower of gravity. Everybody with me, right? I mean, I believe in things that I'm not a follower of, but in order to be a follower, a true follower, following requires that you take steps. See, that's not just, that's not just logical, but that's part of our faith. Following requires that you actually take steps in a direction because you're actually following someone versus being a believer or just having a belief system. And so as disciples, as we talk about this today in terms of praying as a, as a disciple, not just a new creation, but as a disciple, how do we pray from that? How do we live from that? We have to know what following looks like and what steps look like in terms of how God wants to grow us in our faith. And so today, I'm just going to share with you from our church's perspective, and I'm, I'm letting you know, we keep it very simple for two reasons. Number one, I'm a very simple person, okay? I'm a very simple person. Number two, one of the reasons we try to keep things simple is because too many Christians get lost in a sea of complexity in their religious systems that keep them from actually doing what God's called them to do. So they get lost in the complexity of things. They enjoy the complexity of things because it just means they have to sort through stuff and think through stuff and not actually do anything. So we keep it super, super simple because we believe that you're a follower and following requires that you take steps. And we, we just look at it this way. You've heard that, for those who've been around a while, you've heard us talk about these, but these are sort of the markers and the core ambitions we believe of a disciple, of a follower. These are people that, four categories, you're going to partner, partnering, growing, serving, and leading. We just kind of break it up in these four categories. And no matter where you sit this morning, I can promise you, in one of these four categories, or probably more than one, you have plenty of steps you still have to take. There are plenty of steps and opportunities for you to still take as partners, as, as you grow, as you serve, and as you lead others in terms of your being a disciple and a follower of Jesus. So I just want to walk us through those today and share some steps that might be uh, in your future this year to take. So I want you to be thinking, the, the only really challenge this morning is what kind of follower are you? Because I don't really care this morning what kind of a believer you are. I care this morning what kind of a follower you are. 
And what steps are you willing to take and going to be challenged to take this year to continue to follow Jesus and to grow in your faith? You start with partnering. Partnering is very simple. We use that term uh, here kind of like some churches use the word membership. Uh, but we actually, we really think this is an active sort of, if you wanted to call it membership, it's an active, full, committed membership. It's not just a, an entitled sort of part of the club membership. It's a, it's a part of the, uh, we really feel like it's a partnering. And every step that you take has a payoff. And this is just the way God is, because God is so good. As anytime you take a step towards him in the way in terms of following him, he will always meet you in that step. So there's always a payoff. And so for us, we know that partnering, when you take the steps with partnering, there's a payoff that brings community. You get to experience Christ-centered relationships, Christ-centered community that you are, believe it or not, wired for, but it requires you to take steps. Here's some of the scripture we use for partnering. In, uh, in Romans, again, a little bit later in Romans 12, after we've read that sober judgment and thinking of ourselves, it says, so it is with Christ's body that we are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Talking about the church of God, that he uses the part of it. He looks at the, he kind of gives the example of a body. He says, we're all parts of a body, and we all belong to one another. It goes on in uh, Philippians, it says, we want to make, you, you make me truly happy. This is Paul encouraging the church when he says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, or each other, by loving one another, and by working together with one mind, and purpose. Paul's basically saying the church is functioning in this way. This community is functioning in this way. When you agree wholeheartedly with one another, primarily agreeing about the greatness of God and who God is and the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus. That's the agreement part. Loving one another means you love one another and serve each other well. And then working together, talking about one mind, one purpose, I meaning there's a mission and a vision that you actually, you know, join hands with and kind of join forces with to move towards. And so, for, again, for us as a church, we keep it real simple. We talk about three ways, three steps to take as partners. And there's lots of different ways to take these steps. We highlight just a few of them. But here's the primary purpose, to commit, to engage, and to invest. And these are the steps to take. To commit, to engage, and to begin to invest. Now, commitment I'm not going to shy away from it. Commitment is really hard. It's really hard in our current culture. Very, we're living in one of the least committed cultures of the Western generation, of the Western uh, uh, world in terms of our current modern generations. Like, we just don't want to commit to anything. We want to just kind of wait and hang loose and fly by the seat of our pants and just sort of make decisions on the fly. We have a very hard time committing to things, especially when it comes to our time. But I'll be honest with you, in order to take steps in partnering, in community, there's a commitment piece to this, and for us, the biggest commitment you can make is to groups at our church. The biggest commitment you can make is choosing to move out of this sort of place where you sit in the dark in rows and you listen to, you listen to the talking head up here, you know, for your hour on Sunday, and you actually commit to begin to invest in relationships with other people. You commit to hold yourselves accountable to do lives, to do your life with other Christians and other people in your life and have them hold you accountable to your spiritual journey and to your walk. And so this is a big commitment, not just of time, because there's a time commitment too, but really to invest and to, to commit relationally to being a part of the circles that we call groups. 
There's lots of different groups that we have at our church to choose from. You, can, you know, we got social-driven, relationship-only uh, groups. We have some guys that golf. We have some folks that cook, you know, do once a month kind of cook. And those are just little entry points to kind of get to know people a little bit better and to uh, kind of connect socially. We have groups that study the Word of God in terms of studying the, a, a book of the Bible or a topic or series around uh, Scripture, and then they have some ladies' groups and men's groups that do that, and couples' groups that meet throughout the week, in the morning, in the evening, during the day, and they meet and they actually do some, sometimes they can do the message series, they dive a little bit deeper into the series that we're talking about as a, as a church. We have groups that are like classes. We have Financial Peace University, which is Dave Ramsey's class, and we actually going to offer that again here in a couple weeks. And... Uh, and we have a, a, right, right now we have an eschatology class in terms of um, another class that meets twice a month. And if you don't know what eschatology means, you probably should take the class. All right? We have, an, we have Dan uh, uh, Fadel, he's teaching an eschatology class. And I'm telling you, when you talk about commitment, like it's a high commitment. They're reading more scripture and studying more than probably any of our other groups combined because it's a, it's a two-year class that you can jump into and start beginning to engage in the understanding of, of maybe what God has for us to learn in terms of studying the end times. And I'll tell you, honestly, in terms of our groups, in terms of their, it, there's so many things to choose from. If you can't find something that fits or something that you can engage with, listen, I, I'm telling you, number one, I think you're trying to find an excuse. But number two, if you can't find something to engage with, then maybe God's calling you to start it. Okay, maybe God's calling you to create the opportunity so that other people in the church can also commit and be a part of that with you. So you can commit. And again, it's a huge commitment. I'm not trying to deny. That's part of this step you take. You can take a step of engagement. And for us, engagement is just part of the attendance aspect and the, com the committed aspect and the consistency of engaging in the programs and the things in our church. But really, our engagement is sort of measured by the idea of really kind of rolling up your sleeves and getting involved, okay? That there's always opportunities in our church for you to serve and to volunteer and for you to help the family, so to speak, help the family in our church do what we're called to do. And that's really what we call engagement. And it's really unhealthy when you kind of, are, when you kind of come to a church and for a long period of time and you're really not engaged. Because here's what it looks like, and I, I'm not saying this is you. I'm saying it's for other people. Um, you, ever, you ever seen that family where you've been around a family for a little while and you've seen the kid or the teenager who really just is living in their own world? You know, they're just living in their own world and, they, and, and you've sort of noticed on the outside looking in that, that that kid really does nothing to help the family. The kid doesn't contribute. He doesn't wash dishes. He doesn't vacuum floors. He doesn't uh, help mom. He doesn't help dad. He's just living in his own little bubble, and, and uh, he sort of feels entitled that, the, that, that living in that house is for him and, and that all of the, the elements of what's happening in that house is for him and for her. Like, they're just sort of there. And, and when you're on the outside looking in, you can see how unhealthy that looks, right? You can see how unhealthy that is for the kid, in terms of how they're growing up, but you can also see how unhealthy it is for the home. Well, that's kind of what it looks like with church families as well. That there's a real unhealth that happens when a large number of people come together but don't roll their sleeves up and they don't contribute and they don't help and they don't, they don't partner with each other to help accomplish what needs to happen. They're sort of living in their own circles and their own bubbles thinking that all of this is just there to serve them. And it's really unhealthy. So maybe that's a step that God has for you to take in terms of engaging. 
Again, not what kind of believer you are, but what kind of follower are you? What steps are you going to take? The third is easy. It's investment. It's a financial investment. Now, there is a biblical, big-picture idea of stewardship in terms of how we are, we are in obedience giving back to God out of obedience and gratitude, which is what fuels generosity. So there's a big picture of that. We would love to help you and, and work with you and help, help bigger, paint that bigger picture and help you really embrace the fullness of what God wants to do. But at an entry level, at a very bottom entry level, there's an idea here of just investing in the mission and ministry of the organization. That the fact, again, that there are people in churches all across the United States who love the church and who love the organization and who love the benefits of all that this, that this community provides and they give nothing to it. And I got news for you. You know, this isn't the public school system, okay? Your taxes aren't keeping the lights on. Just to let you know that. I don't know if you're aware. Your taxes aren't keeping the lights on. There's, there's not people over in Kid Street right now loving on and investing in your children because your taxes paid for it. This is the church of God. This is the family of God. And so even if you don't get the big picture, I know you get the small picture. I know you get the, the baseline, which is, are you not willing to invest in the mission and ministry that this church collectively is trying to do in this city? Maybe that's a step that you're supposed to take this year to begin to move towards that bigger understanding. Commitment, engagement, investment. These are just steps, steps for partnering that are going to bring about a community for you that you are wired for, that God wants you to use in your life to help you take more steps as you grow and follow Jesus. Growing, growing brings change. Now, everybody wants change as long as it's for the better. Nod your head if I'm right, right? Everybody wants change if it's for the better. And there's so many ways in which God uses everything to help grow us, to help us change, right? It's sermons and, and Bible studies and personal spiritual disciplines, prayer and Sabbathing and confession and, 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 uh, and small groups and friendships and mentoring. And there's all kinds of ways in which God will use many things to help grow you and help see some change in your life. But here's the thing about change and growth. Most of us want the change. We want the, the growth. We're just unwilling to kind of go through what it takes to get there. Like we're, un, we're, we're sort of, we sort of just instinctively don't want to go through the process of it, right? January 1st through the 3rd is the highest, highest attended day of most of the gyms in the United States of America right? Why? Because you're so, you can barely move after the holidays and the diet starts tomorrow and you know, you, you paid for that membership or you want to pay for it. If you pay for it, you know you're going to go lie. If you pay for it, you know, you know you're, but, you, but the problem is, and you want the change, you want the idea of what it's going to do. You're just not willing to go through the process of what it's going to take to see the change in your life. It's really not any different. God uses all sorts of things, but I want to just highlight two, of the pr two processes that we just instinctively are not wanting to engage in, and therefore we don't get to see some of the changes that God wants to have in our life. And that is that God will stretch us and that God will convict us. And we don't like these part of the process of change and growth. And this is just very similar to what like we said earlier, the physical body, the muscles. The only way to grow muscles is to stretch them and use them. And then actually, muscles are tore down 
okay, at their really microscopic level, it's kind of torn fibers are torn apart in order to actually create growth and grow new muscle. And that's kind of how God stretches us and convicts us as we go through the process that we need to go through in order to really see change and growth in our life. Here's just a couple examples in terms of what Paul gives us. This is one where, where he talks about the challenges in our life. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. That this is going to be worth it, basically. And he goes on to say, this hope will not lead us to disappointment. Right? That's going to be worth it in the end. For we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God will stretch us to grow us. He will push you out of your comfort zones. He will make you do things you never ever dreamed that you would do. Sometimes, like the verse said, he will allow trials to come and he will allow problems and take problems, like we talked about last week, working all things together for your good. You may not see the good in that moment, but he's using those things to grow you, to develop you, because he will stretch you to grow you. He will stretch us to grow us. That's just part of the process of experiencing change. But he will also tear us down. Got to be careful with this one, so I want to give you a quick explanation. Paul writes a, a letter to the church in Corinth, and he, he gives an example, if you will, of of how he was a part of the process of, of seeing someone, of watching the church be convicted and then growing through that conviction. And so here's Paul in the church in Corinth. He's talking about the letter that he wrote. We don't know if this is the first Corinthian letter or one of the letters we don't have. He says, but I'm sorry that I had to send that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know the pain, it was painful to you in, for a little while. Like he knew it was gonna cause pain, the rebuke that he gave. Now I'm glad I sent it to you, not because it hurts you, but because the pain it caused you to repent and to change your ways. That's what repent means. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. Okay, you ever hear that? It's the kind of sorrow that God wants you to have. He goes on to explain a little bit better. The kind of sorrow God wants you to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for this kind of sorrow meaning that sometimes we're tore down, sometimes we're convicted, and there's no regret later on because it actually moved us towards God. But the worldly sorrow that lacks repentance results in spiritual death. You've seen people go through uh, experiences where, they, were, where they, they, they went through incredible sorrow because of decisions that they made, but because they lacked repentance, because it was basically they were sorry they got caught, they were sorry it ended. They're sorry they have to experience the consequences, but there was no real repentance. Well, that doesn't do anything to move you in your spiritual growth. So let me give you the, the difference that I tell people sometimes in terms of this. Let me just give you a quick example. The enemy of your souls, the enemy of your heart, will use guilt and shame to tear you down. Because he wants to tear us down. But when he tears you down, he wants to keep you down. The conviction of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit tears you down in order to lift you up, in order to build you up. Everybody with me? The difference is, is when you hear, when you hear something like, well, you did something wrong, 
you are worthless, that's guilt and shame. Versus, no, you did something wrong. There's so much more to your life that I have planned for you. If you would just let me help you, I can take you from this and let you experience something beyond your own, you, you know, your own imagination. Like it's a, it's a conviction that tears you down, but it's the purpose is to build you up, is to lift you up, not to keep you down. That's really the difference. And part of this comes through just the, old, the discipline of hearing and being willing to receive that conviction and then be able to confess and repent that back to God. This is how 1 John says it. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not us because we're all sinners. And he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us. And he will forgive our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. God will convict us to grow us. He will tear things down in your life to help lift you up, to help grow you. He will prune away the dead to make room for life. But we struggle with both, I'm just telling you, I know, we struggle with both those processes of the stretching and the conviction. So maybe there's some steps that you need to take. I'm going to show you two, two things just to walk you through. Maybe it's a renovation, what, challenging what really does need work. That's an active thing on your part. And maybe it's confession and repentance, which is a part of the discipline of prayer. Go through the first one, a renovation. This is part of a study that my wife, uh, Tracy, is doing, and she hopes to release it this year. Um, but it comes from that Romans 12. It comes from the idea of being transformed by the renewing of your mind, and it's an active process of renovation. How many have been through a renovation in their house? You've done a bathroom, a kitchen. Uh, yeah, you've, done, you've experienced renovations. You've seen pictures. Everybody watches the gains. I know. Okay, just, you know. So it could be the foundation, it could be walls, it could be plumbing, it could be electricity, it could be everything, it could be one thing. I'm just, I'm saying it from the standpoint of maybe there's something that you, you already know is unhealthy, you already know needs to be worked on, you already know a wall that needs to be tore down, you already know there's active renovation that needs to happen in your life, so you pursue God in that step and say, God, what needs to be at work here? And you engage in the renewing of your mind that way. The confession and repentance comes why we do the 21 days of prayer is because we, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that, that God wants to take the quiet times that you will set apart for him and in those moments be able to reveal to you the sin in your life, the, the errors that you've made, the corrections that you need to make. And it's just something simple. I'm telling you, it's just something simple to get into the active habit of hearing from him and responding confessing to him that you hear, you understand, you, you admit this, but, but you repent. You want to change those ways. You want to experience a change in your life. But it takes that process of conviction, confession, and repentance to be a part of your just everyday prayer. So what steps do you need to take for growing? Because I'm telling you, you could, it may come in all different shapes and forms and avenues, but there's some, they're going to stretch you. I promise you they're going to stretch you. And they may convict you of some of the things you have to deal with in your life. And that's just part of taking those steps. I'll go through the last two fairly quickly, but serving brings purpose to us. Serving others, we're not talking about, again, we're not talking about the volunteering and being a part of the church family that engages us to help one another and serve one another. We're talking about the 167 hours, the other 167 hours of your week where God has placed you, where you live, work, and play to serve others. 
It brings about a purpose in what God's uniquely wired you to do. Here's some of the verses we use. This is in 1 Peter where it says, God has given you each a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. He also says it in Philippians. He says, God's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He's going to give you the desire and the strength and the power and the gifting to do everything he's called you to do. Why? Because you've been gifted on purpose for a purpose. You've been gifted on purpose for a purpose. The Holy Spirit has come to you and he's, he's given you spiritual gifts. Again, not just to use the one hour you're here, but to, to really fully serve others and to give your life away in service to others. Some of you who struggle to understand the real purpose of your life, struggle because you, you've lived in a bubble for so long that you don't really understand and you don't really fully embrace the fact that you're called to serve one another. You're called to use those gifts to serve others in this world. And so maybe, maybe this is just one of the steps, maybe you need to pursue your God-given burden. I call it a God-given burden because, you know, if you've never had this experience where, where you think through what makes you sad, what makes you angry, what makes you happy, what makes you excited, where do you feel like you, your spirit and soul kind of come alive? Have you ever had the experience, and I ask this sincerely, have you ever had the experience where you, you have been somewhere doing something where in that moment, in that very moment, you felt like you were exactly where God wanted you to be and you were doing exactly what God has put you there to do? And I'm telling you, if you have experienced that, you need to pay attention because that ties into your God-given purpose in this life that he has gifted you for on purpose for that purpose. So maybe that's a step that you need to take this year and start pursuing some of those things that, that really is completely outside your, your comfort zone. It's completely away from you. It's all in serving others. Leading brings hope. And this is one of the most beautiful things in terms of God meeting you is that not only do you have the opportunity, do we have the opportunity to lead others to the absolute hope of Jesus Christ, but when we do, listen, when we do, he turns right around and infuses us with that same hope. That same hope. He, you, you think you're doing it for others, but God just turns it right around and infuses you with that hope that he wants you to share with other people. Here's some of the verses we use. Uh, this is from 2 Corinthians again, that verse we, we read earlier about becoming a new person. He says, all of a sudden, this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And he's given us the task of reconciling people to him. That's evangelism. That's leading others. He says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And he says, and now we're Christ's ambassadors. We are here for him, speaking for him. God's making his appeal through us. When we speak for Christ, when we plead to others, come back to God. Come back to him. And that's that idea of just sharing your faith, sharing what you do believe. Not, not a statement of beliefs, but sharing how he's changed your life. You may not be getting it all right, and you need to share with people that you don't get it all right. There doesn't need to be any hypocrisy in you. But you're called to share the hope that you have with others. 
Here's how Peter says it. You must worship God. Their Christ is the Lord of your life. And if someone ever asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But you're going to do this gently and respectful way. Why? Because you're going to keep your conscience clear. If people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see the good life you live because you belong to Christ. What does keeping your conscience clear mean? It means that your talk and your walk match, right? That's what it means. It means that you're not out there with your, with your email signature and your few things that you share on Facebook and, and all that sort of thing, but then they look at your life and you don't, res- you don't act and live out and decide and respond to life at all the way some of the things you state you believe in. That doesn't keep your conscience clear. No, you do it in a respectful and gentle way because you live under grace and you're sharing hope with someone who Jesus loved and died for. So you're respectful. It's not an argument to win. It's not a debate to win. It's a life that Jesus wants to see come to him. And you're inviting them to come back to God. I'm telling you, if you've never had the experience, if you've never had the experience of helping someone walk towards and understand God and then receive Christ as their Savior, if you've never had that experience, I'm just telling you, you don't know what this means. To not only lead others to hope, but then to have that hope come and fill you in such a way that you've never experienced it before. And he's called all of us. This is what we're called to do. This is a step we need to take. And so maybe that is a step. And I would say you can start with your top five. Who are the people in your life right now where you live, work, and play in the circle of influence that you have, that you are actively praying for right now? That you're praying for them. You're praying that God would minister to them. You're praying that God would reveal himself to them. That you're praying for opportunities for you to be able to share with them, that you are not what you believe, but that you are a follower of Jesus. That you, by the, by the grace that God has given you and others, want to share, humbly share, and point them to the absolute hope of Jesus. Who's, who's in that top five? I shared in the first service, uh, Julie Wittenberg is part of our church, and, and I asked her the first service. I said, you know, she, she had an amazing experience this year where her, uh, her sister has been on her top five list since 2008 where she actively began to pray for her sister, where she actively began to pray and have opportunities to share her faith and share her journey and help her along the way. And it wasn't until the fall of this past year, I think it was October of 2019, that her sister finally decided and surrendered her life to Jesus. That's, that's 11 years, right? It's 11 years. Sometimes it takes a while. It's real easy to cross them off the list when they do something dumb right away, Right? You know, you want to pray for them, and then they came up and did something, said something stupid to you politically, and you crossed them off the list? I understand. But who's on your top five? Who are you actively, continually praying for? That God would not only do a work, but he would create opportunities for you. And maybe, maybe you don't, you really, you're really unsure of how to share your faith. And I understand there's a lot of new Christians in the room. And if that's the case, I would just challenge you to go to Growth Track. Go to the fast track on February 8th. It's the Saturday morning that Don talked about. And, we, you know, it's not super complicated. We spend a little bit of time talking about what it looks like to lead, and we just give you the ABCs of leading someone to Jesus. It doesn't take away the personal aspect of your story because that's really what we want people to focus on is the personal, uh, personal pointing, you pointing them to hope. But we want to give you the tools necessary 
to walk them through the ABCs, admitting they're a Christian and believing that, they're, that Jesus is the Son of God and confessing their sins and, and receiving him. That's it. We'll walk you through that. We'll help you, give you some ideas and tools to do that. And maybe that's a step you need to take this year. I, I, I want to just say again, do not underestimate the fact that we intentionally, you'll hear me and Don and Chris and Shin, and we intentionally use the word followers versus believers as often as we can. Because I don't want us to ever kind of get lazy in terms of talking about believers and talking about Christians, because it's too easy for us to just compare ourselves to one another on how we're doing. And that's not what Paul challenged the church. He says, I want you to have sober judgment about you in accordance to the faith that you say you believe in. Not about everybody else. You're a follower of Christ. You're not a believer in God. There's lots of religions that believe in their God. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. But following requires that you take steps. So what are those steps going to be? What are those steps going to be for you this year? And again, I don't, I don't have any idea what those steps are. That's why it's so beautiful that we're such a beautiful, wide, you know, diverse church in terms of people taking different steps along the journey. And we're here to serve you and equip you to take those steps the best we possibly can. But it's up to you to make the decision. As a follower this year, 2020, what steps do you need to take? Maybe it's engaging. Maybe it's partnering. You're going to commit, engage, and invest. Maybe it's you know, growing and understanding, really walking through the process of what growth looks like to bring the change in your life, starting to understand the conviction and repentance and the stretching God wants to do. Maybe it's to, to pursue that God-given purpose. Maybe it's leading others to Jesus. Maybe this is the year that it's going to be explosive growth in your life where you have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to bring people to know Jesus and to say, come back to God. Maybe. You have to be willing to take the step. And that's my prayer for you this morning. That you, wouldn't, you would leave here and you wouldn't just be inspired like, oh yeah, that's great. Somebody here should totally take more steps. But what does God want you to do? Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for this, um, this just your word and this day to think through what being a disciple looks like. How do we pray? as disciples, really followers of you and the steps that you require us to take to look like you, to have the core ambitions of a disciple. God, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe right now this morning you've, you've placed it on their hearts and they need to take the step, don't wait another day to, 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 to move in the direction, to take that step to make their faith known in this public profession in our church. And God, I'm so thankful for those that have already made that decision and the celebration we get to have next week with that. Maybe it's a decision that we, no one will ever know except for them, that they, will, they themselves in their prayer time over the next 21 days will really begin to focus on the areas of their life that they need to confess and repent and allow you to just tear elements of their, their stop making excuses, but to tear elements of their, their excuses down so that you can build them up better and greater and fuller of your love and experience. God, I pray that um, whatever the step is, I'm so thankful that anytime we take a step towards you, you are so faithful to meet us there. 
God, we, we praise your name for that. And we pray all of this in your name and power. In your name, Jesus.